1: From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're Out to Lunch with the editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge
0: style.
2: Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. We talk a lot about business on the show and what it takes to be successful in the workplace. Today we're going to focus on an aspect of business that t- typically doesn't get so much attention, but one that is critically important for so many reasons, and that would be ethics in business. How do you do the right thing when it might not make your company the most competitive or efficient? How do you choose between what's good for your shareholders and what's good for your soul? And what happens when your company or your boss asks you to cross a line for the sake of the bottom line? And once you cross it, can you ever go back? Joining me today is an expert in this arena. He is Aaron Beam, a former corporate executive turned felon who now travels around the country lecturing on ethics in business. It's a topic Aaron knows well, in the late 1990s, he participated in a $2 billion securities fraud scandal at HealthSouth, the extremely successful Fortune 500 company that he had co-founded in the 1980s and helped lead as its chief financial officer. When the fraud was discovered, Aaron turned himself into the feds and later was sentenced to three months in prison, during which time he had an opportunity to reflect on what he had done. In the years since, he has taken those lessons learned and now tries to help others avoid making the same mistake. Aaron, it's a fascinating story. Your books and speeches on this topic are riveting. Thanks for being here today and joining us on Out to Lunch.
1: Well, this is great. (laughs) Uh, I just can't wait to dive into this food. It was <laughs> wonderful. The food
2: is good. And joining me at the table with Aaron is Tom Ryan, a professor of theology and ministry at Loyola University in New Orleans and director of the school's Institute for Ministry, which has an extension program here in Baton Rouge. Tom is an expert on the Catholic Church and its teachings and has been nationally recognized for his research on the history of biblical interpretation, the history of spirituality and faith and popular culture. He also speaks regularly on Pope Francis, who recently published a document on the to to holiness in today's world, and in that document, the Pope makes a special point about the call to holiness in business and the marketplace. Tom, it's a message I think a lot of people need to hear, and I think we'll have a lot of interesting things to discuss with Aaron, so thank you for being here today. It's good to be here. Aaron, I want to start with you. For those who don't know your story, Health South was the first a national chain of orthopedic hospitals and outpatient centers. And by the 1990s, it was one of the country's largest owner and operator of inpatient rehabilitative hospitals with a market value at one point of, I think, $12 billion, or so everyone thought. But in reality, Health South was perpetrating an accounting fraud, and you were part of it. What happened? Well,
1: the fraud actually started on my watch. Um, I guess the word greed, you can't not talk about unethical business behavior and not address the fact that it's many times motivated by greed. Uh, my boss, uh, Richard Scrucci, um totally controlled his board of directors. He gave himself millions of options, and he openly told uh, the local television station that it was his goal to become a billionaire. Okay. And uh, he would meet with the stock analysts every year and ask them, What do we need to do? What do we need to earn for you to keep a strong buy on our stock? And they would tell him, and he would always say, we can do that. It wasn't a problem the first two, three, four years, but down the road, it became very difficult to deliver what he was promising. The company did not get into financial trouble. He just simply over promised Mm -hmm. what we could achieve. And when we couldn't achieve it, it was like, you guys fix the numbers.
2: And so it started out little by little. Little by
1: little, uh, helping the numbers out. Why did I do it? Other than just being stupid, um, I was intimidated by Richard. He was a very forceful kind of guy, very intimidating. Um, the company had become almost a cult type environment. And when the day came that he asked us to actually cook the books, I didn't have the courage to stand up and say no.
2: Was there like a, a single moment or hour in that day where you said, this is this is a deciding moment? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, we, I'm crossing we, a line. It
1: was the second quarter of 1996. We had missed our numbers pretty badly, and it was the first time he actually asked us to phony up the numbers. He, in the past, he had asked us to make accounting changes that were gray areas, and I could live with it. But in the summer of 96, uh, my controller and I just said, we can't do anything else to the numbers. We've got to report the mm-hmm. numbers below the street expectations. And he said no.
2: Before I bring Tom <laughs> into the conversation, were you worried at that point about getting caught?
1: You know, in the moment that you do it, you really don't let that enter your mind. And I've studied a lot about this kind of things. And when people commit crimes like this, they don't really think about the consequences. Somebody texting while they're driving don't think, I'm going to
2: kill somebody. You know. You're a, not really equating texting while driving with a uh, no, the books no, of a $12 it's million the same, company? It's,
1: a, it's the same kind of mentality that you ju- don't let yourself think that you're going to get caught. As
2: yeah.
1: it's, it's r- absurd as that sounds, mm-hmm. you do that.
2: No. Good point. Well, Tom, you've spent your life researching and teaching on Catholic theology. Pope Francis recently issued a paper, technically an apostolic exhortation called On the Call to Holiness in Today's World. And among other things, it does talk about ethics in business and the marketplace. Tell us a little bit about what the Pope says about that, and and maybe how this relates to to some of Aaron's experiences.
3: Well, I mean, one of the interesting things he says uh, in general is people do make mistakes. And he recognizes, mis- you know, m- failures and mistakes in his own life and encourages people to, you know, to, that, that change and turn around as possible. So, that's, that, so he encourages so that's people on those lines. <laughs> that yeah. makes
2: us all feel good. <clears throat>
3: and I think that's part actually part of his, he's a Jesuit. So his Jesuit spirituality is recognizing that. Um, but the other thing is, I think people take the word holiness and say that's for them, not for me. You know, that's for religious professionals, spiritual professionals. And I think Pope Francis wanted to say, well, we're all called to this in some way. And maybe not to be heroes of holiness, but to, to, to live holiness in little ways, in, in, in relationships with, with our family, with our friends, in our, in our, in our work. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's his idea. Is he wanted to bring holiness down to the everyday and, and get people to think about that and its implications in, in people's
2: everyday life. And and how do we get that message out to people, particularly in the business community, mm-hmm. where as you say, they're they're not thinking. They're not. You might have better luck in an educational environment, for instance, in a school. But how do you get people in the business community to think more about this?
1: Uh, you hire me as a speaker.
2: <laughs>
1: well, and, and, and
3: what I would say is
1: you would come take our program at Loyola. We
3: offer a, uh, a focus area what we call Marketplace Ministry, so that gets people to think about their work in the world as a ministry. Yeah. So you that
1: know, You know, a lot of things are changing because of Enron, Hill South, WorldCom, the subprime debacle. Um, every major company now has an, uh, a compliance officer. They typically, at company meetings, talk about ethics, something they didn't do in the past. And I think things are changing. Every company has a hotline where a whistleblower can be protected. So Hmm. uh, I think a lot of of things are changing.
2: And yet, ironically, I mean, it It seems like, like there's more corruption at the highest levels of our government and all of these businesses that are connected to the current administration than we've ever seen, maybe since Warren Harding, maybe worse.
1: You make a good point and sometimes I I get a little discouraged that what I'm doing is for naught you know but um, you can't give up you can keep you got to keep trying Uh, 50 years ago everybody not everybody but most people smoked and it took a long time of pounding on people that it causes cancer and emphysema that today there are no ashtrays on this table there's nobody smoking in here so you can turn things around but you have to work in
2: it yeah and, and I think the whole spoken thing is just a tremendous example of how you really can change whole attitudes tell why do, what how do you make the case that ethics in business matter not just for the moral reasons but how do you make a practical case that doing the right thing is not only good for your soul but for your company
3: well I think uh, I think. Part of holiness that Pope Francis talks about is is concern for the other. And I think if, if, if you're generous and kind and, and thoughtful about your coworkers, they're going to perform better. The morale is going to be improved. So you think of, you know, Pope Francis also wrote about the environment. And, uh, and, and I think the, the, the fewer resources, the more efficient companies can be in terms of the environment, the more money they're going to make. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that there are a number of different ways that being ethical actually helps the bottom line.
2: What would have happened to Health South if, if you hadn't cooked the books? I mean, would it have still done as well? And what was the resolution of it? It would have,
1: in the long run, done much better. Uh, the stock, hmm. it, when we reported bad earnings for the first time, the stock would have gone down. Richard Scrusci may have lost several hundred million dollars, but that's a temporary thing. In the long run, he, he lost everything. Yeah. And uh, so, Cheating works in the short run, in the long run it doesn't.
2: Yep. So, Hell South
1: a, would be much better off. The, they had to pay forensic accountants $400 million to clean the books up.
2: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. So, the three months you spent in prison, I would imagine those were some of the hardest three months of your life. What was going through your mind during that time?
1: I couldn't watch LSU football. <laughs> 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 but no prison was not fun it was life-changing very humbling um I think being there was kind of getting out was terrible because I felt like everybody was staring at me I was mm-hmm. a felon you know so it, it's a
2: it's not pleasant but you have turned it into a business now I have. and 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 tell your story and through speeches and books and have you been able to change other people from making, prevent other people from making the same mistake? That's what I
1: hope. And, and I do get from students in particular uh, speak at LSU every year, and the professor has the students write me notes, and I get notes from them saying this was the best lecture they heard while they were attending LSU. Uh, we hadn't really thought about the importance of ethics. And I really think uh, I am making a difference. Yeah. I have to believe that.
2: Oh, I'm sure you are. Tom, does Loyola teach ethics classes through its theology department? Is Absol- that-
1: absolutely.
3: In fact, pretty much every program has some sort of ethics. Component and so I, our, our program certainly does, uh, and you know it's interesting. I have I have a quick uh, prison story. We we we, <laughs> we 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 offer our program on site around the world, and one of the places we offered it was at Angola, at the state wow. penitentiary in Angola, and we had eight or eight or nine students pursuing a certificate, and and it, it and and we kind of saw the, the the transformative things that you talked about that that you know the people learning this stuff and and growing and and, and changing. It was really a, a a powerful experience, and and also, someone with Pope Francis uh, had a, really had a rocky road early in his life and work with the Jesuits, and he was sent into a, a sort of internal exile because he, he wasn't doing such a good job as, as as leader of the Jesuits, and and that time for him, that exile for him was 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 life changing, um, and and I think he recognizes his own finitude, his own shortcomings uh, and and so I think you, you know is, is is humble and, and is, is willing to forgive other people as a result
2: what what do you teach through the outreach courses and what kind of certificate do I get <laughs> what would I do with a certificate like that
3: well uh, you you would uh, you could get a master's degree or a certificate in theology and ministry and like I say it, what it does is it helps it gives you a theological foundation to to see your life as as a journalist, as a professional, as as a ministry. So see see this radio yeah. program as a ministry. You know, especially on this topic of ethics and business. So um and it, and so we give you a foundation, a grounding, uh, uh, theological support to 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 do that sort of thing.
2: Are a lot of people at Loyola University? interested in the ministry and theology or do they go for business or communications <laughs> degrees or music I know you know
3: right um, we we have we prop around the world we probably have about 200 students including uh, some uh, number of sisters in Africa that we're working on a project with um, and so we're not the biggest graduate program at Loyola but mm-hmm. but we're given all of this of our students around the world are pretty
2: pretty large program we'll be right back after this very short break you're listening to out to lunch i'm stephanie regal i'm talking to Loyola university professor tom ryan and business ethics expert aaron beam aaron is there a theological component to what you tell people in your lectures or is it more from a a secular perspective a practical and and how do you tell them to avoid crime
1: yeah i really kind of stay away from putting a religious spin on it unless i know i'm speaking to legatus or other catholic groups Um, I did in one time at a very large university up north, uh, I mentioned something about going to church every day helps remind you to be ethical and all, and this guy in the audience during Q&A says, Mr. Beam, are you saying you have to be a Christian to be ethical? Mm. And I said, I don't think I said that. <laughs> so you never know. Uh, yeah. You have to kind of keep it. It's a fine line. It's a fine line. In it. And I think if I came over as I was preaching, go to church to be ethical, uh, it, it, it'd fall flat. And I think it would. and cost so, cause me trouble. So what do you tell people in your speech? What is the
2: secret to doing the right thing?
1: The, the secret or the main reason you need to be ethical it's a matter of trust. There's a professor at Duke University you may have heard of, Dr. Dan Ariely. Mm-hmm. And he recently said, a society without trust isn't a society. It's a group of people who are constantly afraid of each other. Interesting. If you lose trust in your businesses, in Wall Street, in the government, things go south. Yeah. People Things don't work well when there's no trust. So I I emphasize that. And I emphasize that it takes courage to be ethical. My big downfall is I did not have the courage to stand up and be ethical. And you have to work at it, you -hmm. really do.
2: Were most of the people in your field, I mean, did you feel like they were driven solely by money or were they more purpose driven? Did they care about the mission of healthcare or was it all about just the big deal and getting rich?
1: The in the trenches, nurses and therapists, they really were more interested in the patients. We unfortunately, that was part of our problem. We were a little too interested in making money. I mean and, and, and that that was a problem with the company.
2: I'm sure that's so common. You oh yeah. Know? I it mean is. that's so common in corporate yeah. America. Tom, how did you get interested in in, in your calling, in theology and ministry? Was that what you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were little?
3: Um, you know, I, I studied in, when I was in college, I studied in, in, in Europe for a year. And that was such an eye-opening experience to be in another culture and to get another way of looking at things. And I took a theology class over there, and it just was so mind-opening. And then um, <clears throat> I lived at a place uh, after I graduated from college called the Catholic Worker, which is a very important uh, organization founded by Dorothy Day in the in the 1930s and she tried to put together faith and action. And so I've always been interested in the connection between faith and action and uh, and and in fact, and I'm, I'm attracted to the Jesuits and teaching at Loyola Jesuit University because Jesuits are often called contemplatives in action. You know, so putting together action and contemplation and, and having action kind of be uh, a result of or one of the fruits of contemplation. So, um, so I'm, I'm really interested in that faith and, yeah. and its implications. And we, in, our, in our program, we, our approach is what we call practical theology. So we, we don't want what people study to stay in their head, but to, to put their lives in conversation with what they're studying so that, that, that there's that, that practical approach. And, and so, you know, I was thinking earlier, we were talking about um, how to, do, how do, you know, do, do, are we trying to encourage people to be religious? Well, I think Pope Francis and, and is, is, is interested in life, people's lives changing. And, and if, if, if that involves talking to them in a religious language, that's fine. But I think he, he's more interested, I mean, in some ways interested in, in, in lives being changed. And so he can talk to people and, and wants to be in conversation with people from different religions, people of, of no religious background at all. And so I think, I think that's, that's a good good approach to things. Um, and you what were, you were saying also earlier about, um, you were talking about fear of, and, 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 and that's one of the things that Pope Francis talks about the most is, is not being afraid, mm-hmm. you know, not being driven by fear. But being, or and, and uh, driven by kind of passion and boldness, mm-hmm. um, so
2: and he is, I mean, to so many such a wonderful leader, and yet not somewhat controversial in in the Catholic Church. I mean, in in fact, because because he has come out <clears throat> in front on things that. Sure. So many who would rather turn the church back, just like people who would like to turn back the clock in this country.
0: Well, don't.
3: the the uh, I think what James Joyce said about the Catholic Church: here comes everyone, you know. So <laughs> so ever, and it's a big tent, and there are a lot of different people under the tent. So anybody's going to be controversial who makes a takes a stand in a position in the Catholic Church. So I, I'm not surprised by that. And but you at know, least he's welcoming. He's welcoming, and, and right, he's welcoming. And you know, and Jesus was controversial. He he annoyed some people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, but he is, and I think. I think that the, the welcome to me is what is is most encouraging, and mm-hmm. and the other thing I like so much about him is his his smile. Yeah, you know, yeah. you see pictures, yeah. And, yeah. and and you know, I think in, if you can smile, if you can be joyful, that that transforms the people around you. Mm-hmm. You know, and it can make for a better business environment or a better work environment. So. Well,
2: speaking of a, of a business environment, Aaron, what do you see in the future of healthcare right now? I mean, so much. So much change and so different than when you got into Health South 30 something years ago.
1: You know, I, I'm not real optimistic because I'm afraid to a large extent insurance companies now are the driving force of healthcare. They make for changes and things. And as I talk to even my general uh, practitioner, doctor, uh, you know, he, he's, I can tell he's frustrated because yeah. he makes decisions based on. What the insurance companies will pay for. It. And I think that trend somehow has to be turned around uh, because it, it's. Uh, I, I want my doctor making my decisions, Absol- not my insurance company.
2: Are healthcare companies making ethical decisions? I mean, going back to the whole ethics and business thing, if they're. Only concerned about the bottom line. Maybe they're not cooking the books, but they're shortchanging their patients, which is almost as bad, if yeah. not worse. Maybe. When,
1: when I first went to work for a for-profit hospital company, I was like, this is great. For-profit is better than not-for-profit. Not-for-profits, they're bureaucrats, they're not efficient. Making a profit is how you become efficient. But the history shows that for-profit healthcare companies have been riddled with fraud.
2: Mm-hmm. and, yeah. and Absolutely. there's a lot
1: of reasons for that but uh, I'm afraid to, to some extent if, if today you told me you're really really
2: sick and you need to go to a hospital I think I'd rather go for a not profit a hospital oh <laughs> I certainly would yeah. yeah yeah well Tom I know the mission of the Jesuits is not health care but but education and you teach a lot of young people what do you see as a is a common thread with the millennials today, and where are they on ethics? You hear all the, the great things about millennials, and then mm-hmm. some of the the downside as well. Um. Well, I think
3: I think millennials, our students, uh, aren't as interested in organized religion as much, but they're they're as hungry as anybody, or hungrier than 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 many, for spirituality for. Questions about meaning, for connections with other people, for you know, uh, service work, things like that. So, so I think there's deep interest and deep concern and deep commitment to questions of ethics, to questions of meaning and spirituality and things mm-hmm. like that. So, I I I, um, I teach mainly graduate students at Loyola. Um, and uh, but this past semester I taught a, a class of undergraduates and and th- they really confirmed that so it was a little more difficult <laughs> teaching undergraduates but uh, but but the, their energy and their interest was 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 really energizing so
2: you're optimistic when you look at towards the future and what you see in young people today
3: i you know i i am optimistic i am optimistic and i think that one of the one of the challenges for those those of us who are not millennials is to listen to what they have to say to listen to their concerns and not put them in our boxes but to try to understand them on their on their own grounds mm-hmm. and i think when we do that th- there is there is room for optimism and and you know so so we can learn from them and vice versa that's uh, good advice
2: yeah where where do you all see yourselves headed, Aaron? I, I know you're active on the speaker circuit, two books out. What do you see yourself doing for the next five to ten years? Do you have another book in the works? And
1: I thought about writing a book about the opioid crisis okay. because I saw that there's a lot of parallels with large corporate frauds and the opioid crisis because mm-hmm. there's so many people that can be blamed, yeah. the doctors, the insurance companies, uh, what have you, the addicts themselves. But I got to researching it, and there's been several very good books written about that already. Okay. And so I, I backed away from that. I might write a children's book that would deal with ethics. I think that would be kind of fun. So I I'm, think
2: that sounds like a wonderful yeah, idea. I'm thinking about that. Okay, excellent. And, Tom, what about you and, and Loyola? Um.
3: So, um, so at Loyola, we, like I said earlier, we are – working on a project with uh, Catholic sisters in in Africa on uh, On c- kind of connecting faith and its implications for the UN's uh, sustainable uh, uh, Development goals, and Wonderful. so that's that's exciting um, and so working in in, in East Africa and in teaching but also learning how, how can we learn and, and teach at the same time we also offer uh, our, our program in Spanish and so we want to expand that and um, um, and then we're, we're we're getting more and more into online education and and that that's a challenge. It, it gives people an opportunity but but the, the you know one of the tricks or is is how do you how do you teach ministry online right that involves personal engagement and and so we're we're working on that and, 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 and you've it, been
2: developing some of those courses in that curriculum.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Tom Ryan and Aaron Beam, thank you all so much for being here today. This has been so very interesting and really important, meaty things to talk about, and things that are very relevant to the business community and the marketplace.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you, Stephanie.
2: My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Aaron Beam, who has turned his prison stint for accounting fraud into a career on business ethics, and Tom Ryan, a professor of theology and ministry at Loyola University. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Rashuti, And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsbatonrouge.la, and on our It's Baton Rouge Facebook page. These photos were taken by Carrie Hosford, and you can find more of Carrie's photos at carriehosford.com. You can get this show and past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsbatonrouge.la. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.